podcast service and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre where we believe that a church alive is worth a drive. That's true. And uh, we had visitors last week all the way from Toowoomba and they flew here and uh, to be with Priscilla and the family. And so Jewel said a church alight is worth the flight. And, uh, and she, Peggy came back and said a church of might is worth the flight. So you can think of any others, let me know and we'll put them down and get them cranking. But it was a great thought. It's very good to have with you, uh, you're all with us today and I pray that the Lord will open up his word today. Who knows we need the spirit of God to open up the word of God and in addition to that we need then an open heart to receive the word of God. So it's, an, it's a two-way thing. The Lord needs to open up the word of God and hearts need to be receptive to receive the word of God. Because we can all put up a wall and shut it out and say, oh, that's not for me. Pastor Jeff's not for me. But I pray and I, I trust that you know that I've prayerfully waited upon God for a word from him. So the title of my message this morning is Preach Christ. And uh, all yesterday and everything like that, I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want me to preach? What, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to preach? Jules putting together the worship service. Jeff, what are you preaching? And in the end, all I could hear was preach Christ, preach Christ. And it doesn't really get any better than that, does it? We can preach a lot of things, amen. And, uh, but Jesus said these concluding words to his disciple. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, amen. That's what God is building his church. We think we have to build a church, but the Bible says that God is building his church and the role of the church then is to make disciples. Jesus reiterates that there. In Luke's gospel, 24, 46, Jesus said, It was necessary for the Christ, speaking of himself, to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. To all nations, to all peoples, to all tribes and peoples. In Mark's gospel, Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can do a lot of things. We can do an enormous amount of preaching. I remember some time ago, I got a prophecy uh, from, a, from Faileen Sparks, and she said, there will come a time when there was a famine of the word of God. And she said, no, I did not say a famine of preaching, because there's never has been more preaching than there has been today. She says, but there will be a famine of the Word of God. And we can preach many things. Sound good, sound eloquent, sound sophisticated, sound theologically correct. But is it the Word that the Lord would have us present? Mark's Gospel goes on to say in verse 17, and says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In other words, it's a standard thing. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. What a great promise. We lay hands on the sick. Do we do the healing? No. But we've merely, by faith, produced the conduit for the healing power of God to flow through us. And in verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. That's what it says. Or too right, mate, in the English. Too right, mate, you could say. Can I have a too right, mate, in the house of God this morning? Well, right. oh, there you go. And so 
that word there, confirming, uh, when the gospel is preached, these things should actually happen. And to confirm means to make firm or to establish. It means to secure or guarantee. Miracles accompanying the disciples preaching confirmed to the people that they were telling the truth. And so if you see miracles happening in the house of God or when people bring the message of the gospel, it's God himself who is confirming the word that is being preached that it is the truth. God was backing up their message with signs and wonders. And throughout all church history, you can read it for the last 2,000 years of what you would call the latter days or the last days, which is a 2,000-year dispensation of time, there has always been bodies of believers who have operated in signs and wonders and miracles. The Lord himself confirmed his word in Acts 10.38, and uh, I think it was Paul who was speaking. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And the Spirit of God was with Jesus, and God was confirming the ministry of Jesus by the accompanying signs and wonders and miracles. As the Holy Spirit was with Jesus, God confirming his word, so also the, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, and he will confirm your word if you preach the gospel. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And uh, we've reiterated that or accentuated that because it's the power of God, the dunamis, dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. But my emphasis is here is, and you shall be my witnesses to me. So the gospel is a witness to Jesus. Amen? And uh, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it speaks here of a gospel message which begins it in your, home, in your home. Then it spreads out into your community, into your region, into the whole of the state, into the nation, and to the ends of the earth. And so, uh, the, and the gospel did go out and preach they did. What an exciting day. Many people think, oh, it would have been so exciting to live in those days. But the potential to go out into all the earth, I don't know how many people on the earth right now, I think it's seven, uh, probably getting close to eight billion people right now. But it's an exciting day right here and now to preach the gospel. We think once the gospel is preached uh, that the job is finished. But the preaching of the gospel never ever finishes. In fact, as, as soon as you preach the gospel, they receive the gospel. And people go ahead and get married and have children. There's a whole new generation that needs to be brought to the truth. Amen. But church history and tradition and uh, Eusebius and Pantaneus and other historical writings and records tell us, and there's no shortage of historical evidence, no shortage. In fact, it's written in stone all over the earth, churches built over the, uh, over the, over the uh, graves of some of the earliest preachers. Andrew went to Kazakhstan, Russia, Eastern Ukraine, the Northern Caucasus area, Azerbaijan and Georgia. Andrew went to all those places. It's recorded in church history and there are numerous accounts everywhere. Others say, oh, no, he didn't. He came to Ukraine. Others say he went to Belarus. Others say he went to Poland. But they're all true because he traveled far and wide and he went to all these places. 
He went to the Baltic region, the southern Ukraine, and the lower Danube area. Greece and Albania were on his... He went to these places as well. That's just one apostle, amen? Bartholomew, you'll know him as Nathaniel, took the gospel to Armenia, which is really in Turkey, and Arabia, sometimes called India, Mesopotamia, Persia, Egypt, southern Greece, Phrygia, which is on the shores of the Black Sea. And so there's Bartholomew, James, the son of Alphaeus, preached throughout all of Israel for years, and then he went down into Egypt. Jude or Thaddeus preached the gospel in Judea, Samaria, Idumea, which is, uh, is uh, east of Jordan, Syria and Mesopotamia, Libya, which is the north of Af- Africa, and Persia. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, once he used to tax, uh, tax all the disciples who were fishermen. That's why there was a bit of trouble in the camp with the disciples, because they had to pull upside along the guy who was the tax collector, who was overtaxing them probably for all these years. But Matthew preached among the Jews, and then he went on to Ethiopia on the Caspian Sea. So there was not just Ethiopia and Africa, but there was an Ethiopia on the Caspian Sea, and he went to Macedonia and also into Syria. Philip preached the gospel in Phrygia, which is modern-day central Turkey. The list goes on. Thomas went to India. And there's great historical accounts of Thomas going to India. And there's churches there. And uh, a lot of these guys became patron saints of those nations. And uh, Simon the Zealot went to the Black Sea. He went to Egypt. He went to North Africa. And he went to Britain, Persia, as well as Armenia. See, the light of the gospel message went out and darkness was driven back. What delivered Europe and all these regions, the whole of the civilized world at that time from pagan witchcraft beliefs was the coming of the gospel of the light and it drove back the darkness, amen? And that's what it did. And Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of your word brings light. It expels darkness. The coming of the gospel to any land is a fantastic thing for its peoples because they're delivered, amen? They're delivered. Now we know they did not preach because these now we know that they did preach because these handful of men they changed the world. In fact, kings and kingdoms of the earth were and have been subdued throughout the earth without a physical sword and shield and without armies. The gospel has been taken into every nation tribe on the whole face of the earth. The Roman Empire came to realize that martyrdom could not deter their faith. They couldn't kill these people quick enough. And the, and the believers in Christ were actually lining up. They said, I'm a believer too. Do you want to martyr me? Do you want to throw me to the lions? And so they did. And they realized they couldn't deter their faith because it was a living reality in your life. Is Jesus the Christ, the subject of the gospel and the only subject of the gospel? It's about a king and his kingdom, and that king is Jesus, amen? The monarch of the universe and sovereign of all the lands. And uh, and, uh, is he a reality in your life today? For those listening online, you may be running on the beach or at the gym, at the household, you might be doing the washing, listening to this message. But I want to ask you today, each and every person, is Jesus a living reality in your life right now? When you woke up this morning, was it good morning, Holy Spirit? Or was it just a, where's my breakfast? Where's my breakfast? Oh, it's good, isn't it? And so we see, in regard to the Roman Empire, it was like, you don't break the word of God, the word of God breaks you. 
And that's true, isn't it? Kings and kingdoms have all had their day. And the word of God is presented to entire kingdoms and kings. And God deposes kings and raises up kings. And uh, the plight of all, all nations and all civilizations will come to rest on what they do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what did they preach? What did these early disciples preach? In the book of Acts, it, was, it covers about 30 years. And it's an amazing story how they transformed the whole, all of these nations, one after the other, after the other, after the other. But, but, and, and the fact that God did confirm their word with signs and wonders and miracles, Jesus commanded them in Acts 1.8, he says, but you shall be witnesses unto me. We can preach many things, but Jesus says you will be a witness unto me. When you bring the gospel message, do we talk about church? Do we talk about the way we do this and the way do we do or is our is or is our speech or oh, the fragrance of Christ? Is it just saturated with talking about Jesus? Are you able to say the name of Jesus with great ease? As a young Catholic boy, I didn't was not able to say it so well. It didn't become natural to me. I never had that born-again experience till I was 29 years of age. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, Philip, who was one of the apostles, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He preached Christ. See, he was a, a witness unto Jesus. That's what he preached. He preached Christ. When we speak, when we preach in this place, do we preach Christ and Christ crucified? Or we do we talk about the latest church growth program? How to connect with your community, how to do this and how to do that. Or they're all tempting to go down that road and if the Lord instructs us to do certain things, we're all ears. You may look up here and you think, no, Jeff, you're all nose, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm all ears right now. In verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And so you can see that signs and wonders and miracles are a testimony if somebody's actually preaching the gospel. And the fact that sometimes we don't see signs and wonders and miracles as regularly as we should, should draw us back to what should we be preaching. Oh, you, you can't get a better thing to preach about than Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Amen. The book of Acts preached Christ unto them. These men, they were accused... The, the apostles were accused of turning the whole world upside down. And it's true when you've encountered Jesus, it will turn your world upside down too. It turned my world upside down 30 odd years ago. And I was accused that nobody knows who you are anymore. My world was turned upside down. And when you met the Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, he'll turn your life upside down too. But it's actually not upside down, it's the right way up. When you meet Jesus, he's turning your world the right way up. It was just been, it happened to be upside down for so long, you didn't know any different. Paul's life was turned upside down when he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Everything that Paul held once dear to be of great value, he realized to be wrong. He realized it to be a false or misplaced value. And his zeal for these temporal things diminished in a moment of time when you met Jesus, the risen Christ. 
Oh, everything that you hold dear will diminish when you've met with Jesus. Amen? When confronted with the risen Christ, he said, Who are you, Lord, and what must I do? Have you encountered Jesus today? Have you re-encountered? Or you, you never disconnect, really. There's never really a signing off in your prayer life. The Bible really speaks about a life of prayer more than a time of prayer. People will often ask you, when do you pray? Or what time do you pray? But I think my life is a prayer. I question you today, is your life a prayer or has it become a prayer? Or the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more that you will remain in contact with him. You won't sign off. Paul spent then the rest of his life turning it the right side up in the world. Murderer to missionary, persecutor to proclaimer, all in the space of three days and there's just about as many verses. And But what did Paul proclaim when he met the risen Christ? In Acts 9.20, in the following verse, you see, he met Christ and then he got baptised and then he got baptised with the Holy Ghost and then all of a sudden he's out preaching three verses later and it says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. What do you preach? What do you minister? When you're talking to people about God and things like that, does the name of Jesus even come into the subject? Or are you so fixated on denomination? No denomination died on the cross for you and I. Not one denomination, amen? Only Jesus did that. Only Jesus did that. And he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he, being Jesus, is the Son of God. That's what they preached. And it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it comes to me now, he says, And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. But what is the word of God that was preached? After all, there was no New Testament. No New Testament. So what did they preach? They preached the word of God, which is the Old Testament. People say, oh, you don't preach out of the Old Testament. Well, the church expanded in its most dramatic years by preaching the Old Testament. But why would they preach the Old Testament if it was null and void? And it wasn't, because the New Testament was only written because it was a fulfillment of the old. 456 prophecies and more attribute to the coming Messiah, the Jesus the Christ. And Jesus was fulfilled all those 456 prophecies, all in one man, Jesus the Christ. I say, preach Christ. Preach Christ. At Damascus, he preached Christ. The very place that he purposed to imprison those who Paul in Galatians records the testimony of the people concerning himself. All the people surrounded by Paul, who, who knew Paul, said, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Oh, isn't it amazing, isn't it? He tried to destroy this gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had all the Old Testament. He had all the pedigree. He had all the position. He had all those things. I'd like quickly just to go to... 1 Corinthians, before I go on to some other material, and I'll just gloss through these things. 1 Corinthians, and chapter 1, and verses 2 to chapter 3. I'm just going to go over a couple of key verses that, I, that strike me at the time. But in the first 10 verses of this, of this glorious letter written to the Corinthian church in, in Greece, the name of Christ is mentioned 10 times in 10 verses. Paul, probably one of the most intellectual, theologically sound men in the Old Testament, 
He knew off by heart the Torah, that means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. By the age of 12 years old, Paul could paraphrase the whole of the first five books of the Bible. Amen? Without reference. Paul was an intellect, a genius. Amen? He was a, he was a tremendous thinker. And yet it says that he preaches Christ. All his intellect, all his pedigree, all his training doesn't even come into the picture. In fact, he renounces all these things. And then he, and then he, uh, he confronts really sectarianism, which is really elevating. And when one says uh, uh, of, of the believers and they begin to say, I am of Paul or I am of Apollos or I am of a Cephas or I am of Christ. And sometimes we have favourite ministries, and we'll say, "I am with John Hagee, I am with uh, Jimmy Swaggart, I am with uh, Benny Hinn Ministries, and I am with this one and that one, and I am with the teaching of Charles Haddon Spurgeon or Charles Grandis and Finney." But but Paul renounces those things, and he says, "Did any of those people ever die on the cross for you?" Oh, they didn't, did they? Did John Haggie or Benny Hen or Kenneth Copeland or any one of those people that are hitting the YouTube, did they ever die on the cross for you? None of those people did. What about this? Did any denomination ever die on the cross for you? No, they didn't. Not one. Not one. A denomination is only as effective as it points people to the cross, as it points people to Jesus, as it points people to the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Amen. That's the only benefit that any one of us can be. Christian Outreach Centre has never saved one person. No, not one. A thousand times no. It is Jesus the Christ, and that's why we give him all the glory and all the praise and all the honour. And that's why he is the preeminent, first and foremost in all things. I'll go on to then to say, it was not philosophy... And it says, for the message of the cross, verse 18, for the message of the cross, this is Paul, he says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't receive the message of the cross, it is absolute foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it, or in the King James Version, it just says, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And it goes on to say, oh yes, human philosophy, theology, theology and all those things, that brought to naught, to naught when you met with the risen Christ. Amen? There's not philosophy nor wisdom. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and also chapter 2, verse 2 and 5. I'll go to that section now, chapter 2. And it says, for I determined, this is chapter 2 and verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is Paul, the one of the most intellectually trained people in theology in the whole of the world at that time. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And he says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, and that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where do you place your faith today? Oh, it's not in the wisdom of men. No, it's not. A thousand times not. It is in the power of God. Amen. Jesus rebuked the scribe in Mark 2.6. 
because there was an elevation of reasoning, reasoning above believing. Oh, a lot of people place great emphasis on the intellectualism of the gospel message. And we can get caught up with it with the, all the amount of study. And I encourage everybody to saturate themselves in the word of God. But as the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, that's what Jesus said. And that's what he saw. They were just reasoning. They were not reasoning out of a heart for God, but an intellectual pursuit to catch him out. The Bible, this glorious gospel, oh, this is it. Hold it in your hand today. If you've got your Bible there, just hold it there and hold it up. Hold the word of God. Has anybody got a Bible in the house? Oh, yes, hold it up, whether it's be on your iPhone or whatever. This glorious gospel is not so much to be explained as it is to be just to be believed. And that's why children sometimes enter into great faith because they just believe. And we are not to be childlike, but not childish, but childlike when we come to the Father to believe in His Word and believe in His Son. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And that's why Jesus is called the cornerstone the foundation of the Christian faith. Oh, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. And regarding the Old Testament, Jesus is still the foundation of the, of the Christian faith because all three members of the Trinity were present. In the beginning, God, Elohim, already indicating the plural nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And some people come at me with a, a verse or two to trick me up, or this or that, or a reason not to attend uh, because of some uh, particular understanding of a scripture. I think there was a book written about 25 years ago. I never read it, but I liked its title, and it was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And some people here probably have read that book. And, uh, and I'm thinking when I, in regard to the small stuff of scripture, which some of us don't seem to be able to get around and this and that, I say once again, the Bible is not always to be explained, but just to be believed. And uh, I think using scriptural terminology, I say, why strain out a gnat and swallow a camel? That's what Jesus said, didn't he? And we can be nitpicking and uh, picking at this verse or this verse because you don't have a comprehension just at this time. I say, don't reduce God to your level of intellect. Amen? Don't do that. And uh, when you have been to the cross... Will a theological debate of no consequence consume your time and undermine your joy in the Lord? Oh, no, it won't. No, it won't. Theological nitpickers have lost sight of the gospel essentials, and there are great essentials. Repent, believe, and receive. These are absolute gospel essentials. All other things are not, a, 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 not an issue to part company with other believers. No, they're not. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you repented of your sin? Have you, received, have you believed and have you received? These are the gospel essentials which we hold dear. And these are the things, when you preach Christ to your friends, to your children, to your grandchildren, these are the things that, this is the reason why the gospel message was so success, successful in the book of Acts Church in the first 30 years. They went nation after nation after nation after nation was beginning. And within a couple of hundred years, the whole of the region had become what we know really as the West. It went down into Africa to this very, very day. All right up into Russia, right out to India, 
always produced eternal fruit. But hunting mice, uh, and uh, just one other word there, I, I read it there yesterday somewhere, and it was theological nitpickers. That's my own terminology, but and uh, it's, someone described it as hunting mice when there's a lion in the street. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? We can be preoccupied with things and uh, of so little consequence when there is much larger things to see. We've got 10 or 12,000 people here. Amen? 10 or 12,000 people in this region, and we want to see them come to Christ. The gospel essentials will bring these people to Christ. Amen? Getting consumed with things of no consequence is only a distraction and a ploy of the devil himself. Or he loves to see us distracted. He loves to see our joy taken. Amen? And so preach Christ. Uh, Preach the essential of all essentials. That's what I call it. The essential of all essentials is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ made peace with the blood of the cross. And I'm thinking Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And without the lamp, there is no illumination. Without Jesus the Christ, there is no illumination. You want to dispel darkness from this region, from your life, from your family, from your children? You want to dispel darkness? Well, bring in the light. And the, the, the... and the Bible says uh, it's a physical, or, uh, a physical law as well. When the light of God comes in, darkness must flee. It's true, isn't it? It hasn't got an option. It hasn't had an option. Darkness must flee. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who we place all our emphasis on. Our emphasis should never be on Christian Outreach Center. Our emphasis is on the cross, Jesus who died on the cross and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So Paul with a pedigree of substance, power and position, and he said that, he says, I'm from the city of Tarsus, which was a city of tremendous learning. Roman citizenship from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, he was the star pupil of Gamaliel, who was the chief teacher in Jerusalem of all the law. And yet, oh, it's a big and yet. It's all almost like an if, which I preached at the midweek meeting. He called those things and regarded them as dung and refuse. In all the words, all his pedigree, all his position, all his power, all his learning, where he'd come from, his citizenship, he he counted the whole lot as dung, it says in the King James Version, or refuse. And he declared himself to be the chief of sinners in the sight of God. He would never have said that had he had not met the risen Christ. And uh, after he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and encountered the risen Christ, his self-righteousness and earthly endeavours melted into the ground in a moment of time when he met the risen Christ. And you too will have a more sober opinion of yourself when you have met the risen Christ. As I did when I was 29 years old, all my learning and this and that and everything like that, it pales into absolute insignificance in the presence of Almighty God. But when you have made him yours... Heaven's scepter of favour rests on your life 
and heaven's richest treasures can now be accessed by you as a son and an heir, a co-heir of Jesus. It's good news, isn't it? The gospel is good news, but the substance of the gospel is Jesus. And basically, that's where it starts, and that's where it ends. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who was and who is and who is to come. He encompasses all of time. Amen? And so, but the eternal becomes a present possession in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal destiny, your eternal destiny will rise or fall on your relationship with the one called Jesus Christ. Preach Christ and him crucified, Jesus said to me this morning or yesterday, the Holy Ghost. To the Jews, he was a stumbling block. He was a stone and a rock of offense. If people are offended by the gospel, know that it is also a gospel truth that people who reject the gospel will be offended by it. To the Greeks, the theologian, the philosopher, the intellects, the, it, the gospel is offensive and repulsive. It's, a, it's just an absolute repulsive thing, the gospel, to think that because we are filled with self-righteousness before we come to Christ. But we know that our, all our own righteousness is as filthy rags when we come to Jesus. And he puts on his glorious robe of righteousness, whiter than snow, on each and every one of us. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, offensive and repulsive. To those in Athens, the city of idols and human reasoning and philosophy, where they used to meet at the, at the, at the, at the mountain there. And, and uh, Paul's spirit was provoked within him when he saw what was going on in Athens. And he preached Jesus and the resurrection in Acts 17 and 18. That's what he did. He preached Jesus. He didn't preach just another philosophy, another better way to live. He didn't preach right and wrong. He just preached Jesus. Because the issue of right and wrong is settled when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's all settled. And he declared in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's what he said. To the, to the unknown God, he said to the Athenians. To the Corinthians in Acts 18.5, Paul was compelled by the Spirit again and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Why did he testify to the Jews that they, Jesus was the Christ? Because they were waiting for the Christ. There was 4,000 years of history, 3,000 years or more since Three, uh, since, since Moses, and there was 456 prophecies declaring that the Messiah was to come. So it was not like they weren't waiting for somebody, because they all were. They were waiting to see, who is this Messiah? And they brought, Paul brought uh, and testified to the Jewish people in all those outlying areas throughout all of Europe that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One. To the Romans which was the seat of unsurpassed military power. Paul preached that Christ is the power of God to salvation. Wouldn't that have shook them in their boots? All the Romans were, all there was, they were unparalleled, they were unsurpassed military power throughout the whole of the, the whole of the continents, not just one, but three continents, under their dominion and under their power. But Paul preached the power of God unto salvation was in the person of Jesus Christ. And he said in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and neither should we not be ashamed. I found that the more bold you are, the easier it becomes. 
when you're sure of who you are in Christ, in Christ, in him, in whom, 13 references in Ephesians chapter 1 and similar also in Colossians chapter 1, are you in Christ today? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. Amen. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. Oh, if Jules would just come to the keys, if you'd like to be upstanding. Love if you would stand to your feet. It's a good message, isn't it? Preach Christ. We can preach a whole heap of things. We can preach philosophy, theologically profound things. We can learn things, we can study things. But at the end of the day, if it's not about Jesus, well, then it's not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. What releases the power of the gospel into your life is believing. As I said, this gospel, this glorious gospel, it's good when we can explain it. But it's not always to be explained more than it is to be believed. The Bible said just to believe. Oh, there's the power. And the power is released when you believe. Amen? You believe. Faith then has provided the conduit for the power of God to flow through into your finances, into your relationships, into your marriage, into your children and their well-being, into your finances and into this region which we want to see come to Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would never move on from this gospel message. To preach the gospel message without Jesus is no gospel at all. The gospel, Jesus Christ, is the power of God to salvation for everyone, all-inclusive, who believes. Do you place your faith in Jesus Christ and in only in Jesus Christ? Not one amongst many, not one amongst many beliefs, but only in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray today, settle that matter before you leave this house this morning, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. It's the glorious gospel. It's a wonderful gospel. In Him we live and move and have our being. And all the promises of God are to Him who believes in the Son of the living God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. If there's anybody here you'd like prayer this morning, 